Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the OIS Podcast. I'm Tom Salemi, and I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Gil Kleiman, General Partner at InterWest Partners and an OIS co-chair. Thanks for joining us in the OIS Podcast, Gil. My pleasure, Tom. Great. Gil, believe it or not, uh, I'm sure this is a highlight of your career, but you were, uh, I used you as a lead in an article I wrote for the old Venture Capital and Healthcare newsletter back in 99 or so when uh, I first wrote about uh, the growing interest of ophthalmology uh, in VCs or the growing interest that VCs had in ophthalmology companies. So you and I have been talking about th- this issue off and on for, for 15 years or, or so. So uh, I'm sure you remember that interview as well, right, Gil? Absolutely. <laughs> and you've obviously had some success in the area uh, with Interlace and LensX and even Inspire. But how have things played out uh, for you and for the sector o- over those 15 years? Has the sector delivered uh, on as strong as returns as you had initially hoped when we talked back in the late 90s? Tom, it's really exceeded uh, my expectations and InterWest expectations. Um, as, you, uh, as you mentioned, a long time ago, when I was a younger man, uh, we talked about this, and I was a fugitive ophthalmologist coming into venture capital, and in about 2000, InterWest really started focusing on ophthalmology um, at my suggestion, and it's turned into really one of our most successful franchises. InterWest had always uh, a very strong medical device franchise, but over the last 15 years, ophthalmology has turned into our leading franchise in terms of really successful companies. That's interesting. And a few of the companies really had upside surprises. Intralays was a fantastic technology, but we never imagined that it would become a public company mm-hmm. and be trading at almost a billion-dollar value and then be acquired. And similarly, LensX uh, was a, a very early-stage company when it got tremendous strategic interest and was acquired after just two and a half years of, uh, of investment time for us. But the real theme in all of these is we were fortunate enough to get behind really talented entrepreneurs in ophthalmology who could create these incredibly innovative and valuable companies in a very short amount of time. Now, you, you led that article because you were an ophthalmologist, as you mentioned, and, and I think you were almost you were still practicing at the time, or had you just stopped at that point? No, the world is a safer place. I'm on the dark side 100%, and, <laughs> but I was, was practicing part-time up until about 10 years ago. Uh, how, would, how does your, your MD and your, uh, your specialty in ophthalmology, how has that helped you in, uh, in investing in companies? Well, really, being an ophthalmologist has helped me in so many different ways. One is in understanding the technology, but also ophthalmology is one of the most sophisticated business specialties of medicine where ophthalmologists, many of them really are native-born entrepreneurs and understand how to build practices and get into details of economics. And so coming out of that background, uh, that additionally helped, and it's helped invest in ophthalmology and also helped us take best practices from ophthalmology into other fields that interest investment. That, that raises a great question. What, and one I was going to ask later on, but I'll bring it up now. What have been sort of the, the primary sources of innovation? Uh, does it come from the physicians, or, or is it more uh, uh, something that has to come out of a, a research lab or something where you know, experimentation with lasers and lenses and things can really be done? Yeah, it's interesting. Innovation seems to come from a myriad of different places. There are some themes depending on what type of technology it is. I think at InterWest, when we're looking at new investments, often with drug-related investments, it's a university or uh, 
pharmaceutical or biotech uh, oriented origin because there's a lot of basic science that needs to be done first and often the timelines are, are quite long. On the device side, it's more common that in addition to those university and, and industry sources that uh, clinicians themselves may come up with innovations and uh, it never really passes through academics. Mm -hmm. uh, so innovation is around us everywhere. It's uh, brilliant people are in all different walks of life. So there's lots of different flavors of it. But if you were going to make a generalization, probably for drugs, it's more often coming from some sort of academic or uh, large, large company research lab type background that has the infrastructure. Uh, but for devices, it's often uh, clinicians seeing an unmet need and applying their innovative talents to that. Hmm. So, so it's not unlike other other areas in life sciences. Similar, similar. Yeah. I think you know one of the advantages in ophthalmology is a lot of these innovations are very high tech. At mm -hmm. Interwest, when we look across different fields, some things are are quite primitive. Um, we invest a lot in orthopedics, where the leading edge innovative devices often still look like they came from Ace Hardware hammers, fizzles, <laughs> and this sort of thing. As ophthalmology, we have lasers, microsurgery, uh, uh, monoclonal antibody drugs, some of the earliest ones there. So it's really a, a leading field for the highest tech aspects of innovation. That's interesting. Well, I was struck by the, uh, uh, I was at the OAS meeting in April in Boston. That was actually my first one I've attended. And I was struck by the, the combination of device and biopharma companies at one specialty conference. It seems more often than not, I think those biotech and device companies are separated at separate events. Is there something, is that just my misperception or is that true? And is there something about ophthalmology that, I don't know, is inviting to, to both sides and really allows for a, a cross-contamination of biotech and device? I think that's true. There's, there is more interchange and the way the technology is evolving, ophthalmology is leading some of the convergence between different fields. Certainly some of the earliest drug device convergences have been in ophthalmology with, for instance, long-term steroid delivery and various intraocular implants that are drug-related. Uh, we're even seeing some convergence where some of the uh, uh, mobile technologies that are coming out of the consumer space are coming into ophthalmology and being used for eye testing and so on. And so the, the amount of cross-fertilization between different types of innovation is, as you point out, one of the highest in the field of ophthalmology. Mm -hmm. It's also been an active effort from OIS, I should say, that we like to encourage that. So that's why we haven't split into different meetings, but try to have the synergies of everyone in the same room um, listening to a variety of different types of uh, technology platforms. Yeah, I, think it, I, I, was, I think it clearly worked. I don't think there was a moment where it felt like it was one conference to the other and, and people were clearly engaged. Um, what are some of the challenges uh, facing uh, investors doing ophthalmology deals? I'm sure they're not unlike other challenges, but let's start with syndication. Is, is there, are, are ophthalmology companies particularly expensive to, to back, especially in the early stages? Are the clinical trials uh, perhaps uh, more uh, extensive, that the, the capital expectations are, are high? Uh, what is it like building a syndicate around an ophthalmology startup these days? Well, I think the challenge with any medical device startup today in today's venture world is just the shrinkage in the venture industry. So I don't think ophthalmology is that much different than any other medical field, that there just are fewer venture capitalists who are willing to invest um, in the field uh, at an early stage. Uh, there's more interest in investing in drugs on the earlier side, uh, somewhat driven by a recent very ebullient IPO window here. But for devices, it's been more challenging. Uh, so it is an issue with syndication, and so I think we 
uh, often look to, if we go into an early stage deal, have uh, pre-picked syndication partners that we know can carry the company forward through many rounds and potentially the whole way. Uh, or we, there may be other situations where we actually would look at it only as a later stage opportunity because the risks of syndication at the early stages are just too great. Sure. Are, are we seeing the corporates move down in the early stages in ophthalmology like we've seen in, in other areas? I would say earlier, but they still are biased towards seeing more progress and mm -hmm. being large organizations they are looking at more at things that are closer to revenue that they could see folding in, although I've been very impressed that a number of strategics have moved to make earlier investments and have been supportive of a number of interwest companies and I think across the industry of investing earlier. So if that trend could continue, that would help, but I would say it hasn't completely filled the gap that's being left by the tide going out of a, a large number of early stage venture investors who are no longer investing in, uh, in life sciences. Interesting. You mentioned earlier on the, the complexity of the technology for ophthalmology companies. Is that almost a, a hurdle? Uh, if you've got something that looks like you can get it at Ace Hardware or something, you're pretty sure it's going to work at some point. Is probably more of a question as to something that's going to you know, that's very complex and and could fail to meet expectations at some point. Is is that a, a challenge? The fact that you're working with very complex technologies. Well, it's interesting. At Interwest, we found that our most successful investments are ones that have are very high tech mm -hmm. and may have a great degree of complexity in them. So we actually embrace that. We tend to shy away from very simple me-too sorts of technologies, even though the barriers to deliver those may appear to be lower. We found that the greatest value is in creating brand new categories of treatments. And the, the femtosecond laser uh, evolution is a perfect example of that, where I don't think I'd ever seen anything much more complicated than the intralase laser when I first saw it. It was first of its kind. It had never even been pioneered in industry like the Exmer laser. It was the first time it was really being used commercially for anything. And it was a huge technical project. But due to the very talented founders and management team there, they were able to make it into one of the most successful breakthrough ophthalmic products and were rewarded not only with a brand new way of doing LASIK around the world, but also with a very successful public company that ultimately was acquired by AMO. So we, we like that. It's actually part of the investment model is to take calculated risks investing in very high technology that will uh, create brand new categories of treatments and really be a disruptive sort of change. That's great. Well, we're going to take just a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application. All right, and we're back with Gil Kleiman from Interwest. He's co-chair of the OIS conferences. Uh, Gil, it's just going down the tick list of, of challenges out there for investors in ophthalmology deals. How about the FDA? You're, we're hearing positive things overall that uh, the agency is getting easier to work with. Are there, is that the case for ophthalmology, or are there some uh, challenges endemic to this specialty that, that still make it a challenge for investors? You know, the, the FDA always has been sort of a double-edged sword to investors because on the one hand, some people perceive it as a, as a barrier to get product to the market, but on the other hand, it's a very effective barrier to entry uh, once a product is approved to be able to really penetrate a market and not have unlimited competition to it. 
And at Interwest, we really embrace the FDA. It's a important part of uh, innovation regulation. And it goes in cycles, just like everything in business, and there are times when it's moving slower and when it's moving faster. And it also is very division-dependent and even down to individuals and divisions in terms of how fast they're moving and how much workload they might have. So all that being said, uh, we're actually pretty optimistic on uh, the environment is improving for the FDA in both the drug and the device side, maybe more so on the device side because it was moving very slowly two or three years ago and now seems through the good efforts of people there uh, are, are making a lot of progress. But it always takes longer than any entrepreneur or investor would want, but it is an important part of the medical system, and so we really try to work with it rather than go around it or invest in things that require very low levels of FDA regulation. Mm -hmm. And finally, how about uh, reimbursement? How, how is that different uh, for ophthalmology investments? One of the great things about ophthalmology is it's really pioneered the cash pay model of, uh, of innovation, that getting people to pay out of pocket for innovations that have real value. And that has become a lot of our investment strategy at Interwest is to seek out across all medical fields uh, drugs and devices that might be enabled by a cash pay part. And this really uh, was pioneered to some extent by the advent of LASIK, which produced a cash pay market. And then it was expanded with premium uh, cataract surgery, which also pioneered the model of simultaneous Medicare and out-of-pocket pay. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the biggest advantages of ophthalmology. So for me personally, I'm very excited about the cash pay, particularly in our new uh, Obamacare environment, to develop models where patients can be part of all of a procedure that's going to generate huge value to them. That's great. Right, and well, on, re on reimbursement, I should comment that reimbursement is generally under pressure all the time. Reimbursement has been under pressure since I first went to medical school in the <laughs> 80s. It's always seemed to be a contracting balloon, but there are always opportunities and ways to uh, get reimbursement for very high-value procedures. And what, the way we look at it in Interwest as investors is just make sure the technology that we're investing in has a very clear value proposition and either has an existing path to reimbursement or one where we could see that we could create that and justify it to the payers, and mm -hmm. we've had generally very good success with that. Great. And just the final question, uh, you know, we're all reading about Google's deal with Novartis to develop the contact lens, can improve vision and, and diagnose disease. How do you view this technology? Is it is it groundbreaking, or is Google and its ilk really capable of bringing something new to the table in ophthalmology, or is this just a, a whole lot of buzz because Google is Google and Apple is Apple, et cetera, et cetera? You know, the Google deal might be one of the most exciting things to happen in ophthalmology, and part of it is, uh, just for me personally, I have huge respect for the company. We actually hired one of our newest partners at Interwest, came out of Google, and is, is one of the most impressive individuals we've had at Interwest. I'm a little biased. My brother-in-law works for Google as well, and so <laughs> I see the culture and the products that they're working on there. So I think their interest in coming into healthcare in general, and specifically into ophthalmology, is fantastic. I do think there's going to be some learnings there. They're a technology company that's used to taking on very large projects, and they're doing some amazing things. Where I live here in Silicon Valley, you see these self-driving cars and all the incredibly visionary things that they're doing. But this is something that's new for them, which is dealing with biology and the healthcare system and 
things that may require clinical trials of some sort. So there may be some learning curve there, but I think uh, collaboration with Novartis is a great way for them to partner. And so I, I hope it's the beginning of a trend that we could have some of these very large, very successful technology companies coming in to really supercharge uh, things that have been traditionally done by healthcare companies. Hmm. Maybe you can leverage some of those connections to get us some Google representatives at our next uh, OAS conference, Gil. We'll do my best. <laughs> great. Well, this has been a great conversation, as I, I always enjoy talking to you. So thanks very much for, for joining us. Likewise. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for listening to this OIS podcast. Next time, we'll have the chance to speak with ophthalmologist Stephen Slade. Please listen in, and we'll see you in Chicago. Don't miss your chance to attend the next Ophthalmology Innovation Summit at AAO on October 16th in Chicago. OIS will showcase market-changing technologies and provide a forum for industry leaders to discuss and debate the challenges and opportunities facing this dynamic industry. Hear what world-renowned ophthalmologist and inventor Dr. Steve Charles has to say. This is a great forum to get everybody in the same room. These are not separate parts of the puzzle. They've got to be a cohesive unit to work together. We can't see the FDA or the venture capital community as adversarial. They've got to be part of the process. And so this is dialogue. That's what this is about. And it was a very effective forum for that. It's the fifth time they've held it. It's also very effective in the spring at the ASCRS meeting. I'm delighted to be a part of it. So visit the new OIS Supersite for more details and to register at www.ois.net.